Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Howdy Faith Church, if you're joining us online, welcome. And if you're on campus, so glad you're here. We're working our way through the book of Romans. And I warned you last week, the section of scripture that we're in is difficult. It's the type of section of scripture that causes people to walk away from God, walk away from Christianity, because it's sober truth that is in some ways hard to hear and hard to understand and hard to make sense of. But as we kind of lean into the sober reality of sin in our lives, in the lives of the people around us and in this world, we learn the goodness and the greatness of God. And so we're leaning into, and I asked you kind of don't hit the eject button just yet. Let me work our way through all of Romans 1 before you make a decision. If today you're going, you know what, I don't like what I hear. Give me a couple more weeks and ask God's spirit to speak to you and to guide you. He will lead you into all truth. It doesn't count on my words, but he is going to do good things in you as you humbly seek him. So last week we started in Romans 1.18, which starts to talk about the wrath of God, right? So the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness of people who suppress the truth and exchange God for cheap substitutes. This is sort of summarizing what we leaned into last week. And the word wrath of God, or that phrase, means God's intense hatred towards sin. That God, in his perfect love and perfect justice, he can't just look the other way when we don't align our hearts to him. When we reject him, when we de-God him, when we dethrone him, when we do our own thing and don't align our lives to him, he can't just look the other way. In his perfect love and justice, he goes, you know what? I hate that you're doing that because I know what it will do to you. When it says God's wrath is being revealed or he hates something intensely, we think that that looks like what it would be for us. If we hated something intensely, we'd get angry and throw a temper tantrum and maybe be irrational and have an emotional outburst. God never has an emotional outburst. He is precise in how he does everything. Perfect in his love and righteousness and his justice, equally distributed to all because all have sinned. It's not just some. He's Wrath is being revealed against all the godlessness of people. That's all of us. All of us have rejected God. All of us have not aligned our hearts to God. All of us have sinned, the Bible said, and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no one outside of this. There's no better person or worse person. There's not being good enough or bad enough. There's no category of sin that God's like, that's a bad, that's worse, this is better. You're better, you're worse. No, all have been ungodly, all have not aligned their hearts to God. And how does that happen? We learned this last week as well. We suppress the truth, right? So God is here among us on planet earth and puts on display his goodness all around us. We see his creation, we see his beauty, we see the intricacy and the intelligence and the balance of nature. We see all this stuff, it's playing around us and it's playing, the Bible says, in us, but we push that truth down. We don't want to listen to the truth of God because if we listen to the fact that there's a creator and a sustainer and a sovereign of the universe, then we would have to listen to him. 
We have to align our hearts so we push that truth down. I don't want to hear that truth. I don't want to hear that truth. I don't want to hear that truth. And he says that we also do is we exchange God for cheap substitutes. We exchange God for comfort. We exchange God for sex. We change God for money. We change God for popularity. We exchange God for cheap substitutes. We push down the truth that he's here and he loves us and he cares about us. And we exchange for cheap substitutes. And God goes, I hate that. Because I know that when you do that, it will destroy you. I know that when you push down the truth of who I am, and what I'm doing in this world. I know that if you exchange me for a cheap substitute, I know it's gonna hurt you. I know it's gonna harm you. I know it's gonna destroy you, and I hate that. And I gave you the homework assignment to ask yourself the question, how do I do it? Right? We all do this. We all suppress the truth. There's things we don't wanna hear, things we don't wanna think about, things we don't wanna consider, things we don't wanna face. How do we suppress truth in our own lives? How do you Suppress truth. How do you exchange God for something that's a cheap substitute that won't supply for you the satisfaction you've desperately been hoping for? We all do this. And God's like, I hate that you do it because I know it's going to destroy you. We're gonna take this to the next step in Romans chapter one, verse 24 through 27. If you have your Bibles, turn them on, open them up. And here what Paul's going to do is he's going to put on display for us the results of doing this individually and collectively. And so it's just good to be reminded that God is this all-powerful God who created all things and sustains all things. He is ultimate in power. He can do all things and does all things and holds all things together. He's incredibly powerful, but he's also incredibly personal. He knows us. He made us, he loves us, he has a design for us and a purpose for us, and he wants to walk with us. So incredibly powerful and incredibly personal, and he is the source of comfort and joy and forgiveness and peace and wisdom. He has all things available to you and to me. And so he hates when we go with cheap substitutes and push the truth down because he's all powerful and personal, and he knows that he can supply all your needs. And so this is where we pick up in Romans chapter one, and I'm gonna start back in verse 18, and we're gonna dial into verse 24, but listen to the whole thought. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their foolish thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now he's going to shift. He says, you all suppress the truth and you exchange it. Now here's the re results, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for giving us your word, for diagnosing the truth of who we are. God, it's hard sometimes to face the truth because it doesn't feel good. It's disorienting. Oftentimes, it causes us to question or doubt your presence and goodness. It is our desire today to learn the truth and to align our hearts with the truth and to speak the truth because the truth is what sets us free. And you're a God who loves and cares deeply about each of your creation. You have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And you know we do things that, that sort of destroy us, things that walk away from you that hurt us and harm us. You love us too much to let that just happen without doing something, saying something. So you're constantly speaking truth and wanting to align our hearts to what is right and good. And you're constantly giving us opportunities to come back to choose what is right and good. So would you help us today? Would your Holy Spirit speak? Would you convict where there's conviction needed? Would you comfort where there's comfort needed? Would you set us free with the truth together as we learn? I pray this in Christ's name, amen. We got some work to do today, friends. Let's roll up our sleeves. Are you ready? So Romans chapter 118 says the wrath of God is being revealed, right? His intense hatred towards sin and worth asking the question, how is God's wrath being revealed today? If God is revealing wrath, what does that look like today? Three times in chapter one, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, it says he gave them over. This is God's wrath being revealed. He gave them over. Jersey Joe's interpretation of he gave them over is he gives you what you want. If you want X, you can have X. If you want Y, you can have Y. In God's judgment, he knows what is right and good for all of us, but he's like, hey, if that's what you want, go for it. I know what's right and just. I know what's good for you, but I'm not gonna get in the way. If you want something, I love you so much to let you have what you want. This is God's wrath to give us what we want, even though what we want is going to harm us. And in this specific context, verse 24, he says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. He's saying, hey, I made you. I'm your creator. I know you. You suppress that truth. I'm your creator. You exchange me for cheap substitutes. So I'm going to give you over to what you want. And I'm going to allow you to have sex with anyone at any time if that's what you want. But it's going to cause the degrading of your body. You're created in the image of God. It's going to hollow out your purpose. It's going to erode the goodness of who you are. It's going to leave you unsatisfied and unfulfilled. But if that's what you want, you, you can have it. If that's what you're looking for and you're seeking, it's yours. Go for it, he says. Now, worth slowing down 
and saying that one of the best ways to understand Romans chapter one, the entirety, but especially these types of truths in Romans chapter one, is actually to go backwards and cross-reference Romans chapter one with Genesis one. And when you go back to the beginning, it's worth us taking our time to do this. The Bible starts out the first page, first line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So you have this massive creator God who's powerful enough to speak things into existence and he makes everything, valleys and birds and animals, and the pinnacle of his creation is humanity. And so in verse 27, we read, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And so out of all the birds and animals and mountains and skies, everything he made, he only created one form of creation that is in his image to represent him on planet earth. And he made two unique individuals, male and female, male and female, who are equal in value and distinct in role and distinct as bodies, right? Right? So men and women are different, but they're intended by God to represent him here on earth as corresponding parts that work together for a purpose. And he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So you're here on planet earth, equal in value, distinct in role to work together for a common purpose, make babies, right? Make babies and subdue and rule the earth. You're to do this Together, And so when you look at uh, Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and you keep reading the story in Genesis, you see he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, your job is to work this garden and care for this garden and make babies and don't eat from one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes to them and says, did God really say that? Did God really tell you make babies? Did God really tell you don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? And in that moment, what do Adam and Eve do? They suppress the truth and exchange God for a cheap substitute. And they do that, and in that moment, they take the human race and they plunge you and me into a life of nature, attitude, and action being sinful, that all of us are now sinful. And if you get yourself upset, the fact that Adam and Eve did it, but you would be better and you wouldn't have done that, get a grip. You would have done the exact same thing. If the story was written in Joe and Carrie Hayne Hensler from Emmaus and God put them in the garden, we would screw it up. And so would you, because as humans, we all suppress the truth and exchange it. And there's someone whispering in our ears going, did he really say that? So what happens, right? He pushes this down. Now, I want to slow down even slower than Genesis 1. I actually want to talk about us as humans, how we're creating the image of God, but we're also composite beings. That as people create in the image of God, we have a spiritual component, a physical component, a mental component, an emotional component, a sexual component. That all of this together is created in the image of God. In all of these different components, right? And so I represent the image of God spiritually. I represent the image of God physically. I represent the image of God mentally, emotionally, sexually. The image of God is a display in all these different components of who I am. Sin also taints each of these components, this failure to align my life to God's life. The rejecting of God impacts all of these components, 
worth slowing down even more to say that all of us in these categories, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, sexual, we all have thoughts and feelings and we have a design, right? So I have spiritual thoughts. I have physical thoughts. I have mental thoughts. I have emotional th- I have I have sexual feelings. I have mental feelings. I have emo- like I have all of these components and I have a design. Thoughts and feelings. We all have them. And worth noting that thoughts and feelings in and of themselves are not wrong, but what we do with those thoughts and feelings can be wrong. Let me say it again. Thoughts and feelings in and of themselves are not wrong, but what I do with those thoughts and feelings can be wrong. Why? Because I have a design right? And so here's the thing is there's all these spiritual components. I have thoughts and feelings. These thoughts and feelings about all these components, they could be true or they could be false. It could be a true thought, a true feeling. It could be a false thought, a false feeling. I can have true or false, but when we get down to design who I am, it's just fact. There's just a design, a fact of who I am. Right, this this body, this life of mine, there's a creator who built me, who made me, who knows me, who designed me, who understand me. So I can have all kinds of thoughts and feelings that aren't right or wrong. They might be true or false. What I do with those thoughts and feelings can be wrong and sinful because they go up against my design. I'll give you an example. One I give you all the time. I get stressed out at work. Someone does something stupid at work. None of you have ever been at work with me, right? So I do. someone does something stupid at church and I get upset and I go home and eat a bag of Ruffles, right? The feeling I have of being upset because someone did something wrong, there's nothing wrong with that, but eating three Costco-sized bag of Ruffles has a design impact, does it not? It goes against my design. And so it's going to make my cholesterol go bad, my heart, right, my sodium intake. It's going to impact me physically. It's going to cut against my design. If I get angry with you because you did something to hurt my son or my wife, it's a legitimate feeling that I'm frustrated, I'm angry at some injustice, and I decide to punch you in the face. That goes against my design. It hurts you and it hurts me. I can have all kinds of thoughts and feelings. They could be true or false, but certain things don't go against your design. And when they do go against your design, that's where sin and damage comes in, right? And so you go, what the heck does this have to do with Romans chapter one and the wrath of God revealing? Great question. So fast forward from Genesis to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus makes this statement He says at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, right? Jesus is picking up on what Moses says in Genesis at the beginning. And he says at the beginning, creator made male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus picks up on what Moses is saying at the beginning and said there was a design from the beginning that you were put on planet earth, male and female, to come together, to partner together in all kinds of ways to rule and fill the earth and make babies, right? And this is the design and it's to bond you together and it's intended by God to be an inseparable bond. It's a design, 
right? And so when we look at Genesis through Revelation and we look, look at human sexuality, I would summarize the design of sex as this, that it's a God-honoring, pleasure-producing, self-giving act which bonds husband and wife together to reproduce. Hey guys, we're talking about sex at church, right? Because it's God-honoring. We should talk about sex more often. He made it. He's not surprised by it. He's not bugged by it. It's his idea. Pleasure producing. Is that an accident? Oh my gosh. God's like, wow, I'm so surprised. They like it. Like what? No, it's designed by God to produce pleasure. It's a self-giving act, not a self-serving act by design. It's to serve someone for a purpose. It does two things. It bonds husband and wife together for life for the purpose of filling the world, representing God, and making babies to reproduce, right? And so somehow in our culture, we've gotten so far away from the fact that the purpose is a bond and reproduction of more people. We've made it about pleasure. Pleasure is a byproduct. It's not the purpose, it's the byproduct, not the purpose. And so this is what all of the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation about sex summarized. And here's the deal. All of us can have feelings about this, right? My sexual thoughts, my sexual feelings, my sexual design. I can take what God's word says and I have a choice of what I feel and what I think when I hear God's design and hear God's thoughts and hear God's purpose. I can have my own thoughts. I can have my own feelings about it but it doesn't change the facts of design. He is God. He made us and he knows us and he understands us and he loves us and he has a plan for us and a purpose for us and he knows what is gonna help us and he knows what's gonna destroy us. And we can choose what we think and feel about it, but we can't go against the design. It makes no sense. It's actually foolishness. And oh, by the way, there's this guy over here. There's a real evil one, an enemy. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible says he is a liar and been a liar from the beginning, whispering to people, did God really say that? Did God really say, Eve, don't eat from that tree? Does God really care about you? Does God really love you? Does God really have a purpose for you? Does God really for you? His language is deception so that he can destroy. Where God is for you, not against you, and has a purpose and a plan for your life and doesn't want your destruction. He wants you to have life. And here's the deal. If you say something loud enough and long enough, even if it's a lie, you believe it. Hear it again. If you say something loud enough and long enough, even if it's a lie, you believe it. And that's what happens inside of all of our hearts, lies, that we start to believe, that contradict our design, and it leads to destruction. And God says, I hate that. I hate that for you. How does this play in Romans chapter 1? This is the backdrop that we get to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So I guess all of that is in the background to think about what he says now in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator 
who is forever praised. Amen. My summary statement of that is Paul says, you exchange God's truth about sex for a lie about sex. We've all done it. None of us are above this. We've all done it. You worship sex instead of worshiping God. And God's like, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. If that's what you want, go ahead. You know, God makes, uh, sex makes a terrible God. Sex makes a terrible God. Sex is a tyrant and something that enslaves people, not sets people free. Sex does not satisfy. So even in the healthiest marriage between one man and one woman, you will never have enough sex to satisfy you. The nature of an orgasm is it's over. The nature of Jesus is he lasts forever. And so when you make a God out of something that's over, it distracts you and destroys you. And God knows it. And he says, I hate that for you. I'll give you what you want, but I hate it. Sex makes a terrible God. But if that's what you want, and so this is where then he goes now in result of that, verse 26, he goes, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. This is now the third time he uses this word exchanged. He says, first, all of us, we exchange God for cheap substitutes. Then he says, we exchange God for lies. Now he says, we exchange natural for unnatural. This is design language. This is not language about what I feel. It's not language about my opinions. It's not language about my perceptions. It's language about design. Like how has God designed things? And he's saying, when you take what is natural and make it unnatural or unnatural and make it natural, there's something that it does to you and to me. When you make that exchange, and this isn't natural your definition, natural my definition, unnatural your definition. So what's natural for me is natural for me. What's unnatural for me is unnatural. No, this is God's standards, not about opinion, above opinion, not about thoughts, above thoughts. At a design level, God's like, I designed you in a specific way. And there's a natural way of living and an unnatural way of living. And so we can look at all of this and say that all sexual pleasure outside of marriage between one man and one woman goes against God's design. Goes against God's design. This is not what he designed us for. And every time we go against God's design, it costs us something. It's really important for me to slow down and say all and the Bible is really clear that all means all, right? That it means a big thing. So that, let me be clear that I'm sure I'm telling you everything the Bible says when it says all. That when in my mind I have sex with someone, that goes against God's design and it costs. That when I have sex with someone outside of marriage, that is, goes against God's design and it costs. That when I have sex with a child, Children's sex with children, sex with animals, sex with family members is outside of God's design and costs. Men having sex with men, women having sex with women is outside of God's design 
And it comes at a cost that God knows us, that he made us. And he says, when you do this, it's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. I'll let you do it, but it's going to destroy you. It's really hard. It's really hard because all of us struggle. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of God's glory. And when I do things that go against God's design, It costs me and it costs the people around me. That sin, going against God's design, doesn't just harm me, it harms my family, it harms my community, it harms my nation. It's not personal, it's not private, it's public. That when I do things to go against God's design, it costs me and it costs you. When I make sexual choices that run against God's design. When I have made sexual choices that are wrong, it hurts my wife, it hurts my kids, it hurts my community, it hurts you, it hurts our world. Let me give you two examples. I'm not gonna go too, don't get nervous. (laughs) When you're talking about sex and you say, let's give some examples, you people go, oh my gosh, what's he gonna do, Jersey Joe? (laughs) So in the Bible, there's a guy named Solomon. The Bible describes him as the wisest king who ever lived, who had all the power, all the money, all the influence. He was an artist and an architect. He was a leader. He was an innovator, incredibly capable, incredibly wealthy, incredibly wise, wisest, most powerful king who ever lived. And God said to Solomon, take one wife. And Solomon took 700 wives and 300 concubines. It's safe to say Solomon had a lot of sex. He was surrounded by it. If you have a thousand women and you're the most powerful, influential person in the world, Solomon had a lot of sex. And at the end of his life, he said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Based on what was going on in the ancient world and who Solomon was, that means I'm just making an interpretation. That means he experimented with sex in every which direction, left and right, up and down. He was a composite being, right? He has all these attributes, but Solomon decided to put his sexual life above every other aspect, and his spiritual life was at the bottom. And he suppressed the truth. God said, take one wife. He took a thousand. He suppressed that truth and exchanged it for sex. And if you read the story of his life, he train wrecks his own life and he train wrecks his nation because sex, sexual sin is not private. It impacts everyone, just like any kind of sin impacts the people around us. Read his life and it ends fruitless and wandering and restless because he made sex his God. Contrast Solomon to Jesus. The Bible says Jesus shows up as a greater Solomon. Jesus comes from the Father, full of grace and truth, fully God, fully man. And the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And Jesus had all of these components, which means we don't like thinking about this. Jesus was a sexual being. Jesus had sexual temptations. Jesus had sexual feelings. But it says that he was tempted in every way that we are, but was without sin. And we know from history, Jesus wasn't married, which means that Jesus didn't pursue sexual pleasure and he never shared sexual intimacy for 33 years with any human. 
And if Jesus can do it, so can we, because what he did was put his spiritual life, loving and serving God, the truth of God, above everything else, and the sexual stuff was at the bottom. And he still lived a full life. His life was full, and it was beautiful, and it was purposeful, and he was surrounded by community and connection, and he wasn't restless, and he wasn't hollow. He was full, and his life made a difference in the lives of the people around him. And we can do the same thing can do the same thing because Jesus did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't use his God card. He walked in the Spirit and he said no to lies and yes to God at every crossroads for 33 years. And if Jesus did it, so can we. And we want to be the kind of community here at Faith Church that does not shame sexual brokenness that doesn't push it into hiding, but to say we've all sexually sinned, all of us, who's been perfect? We've all inherited brokenness. There's been sexual things done to you that are just wrong and evil. You've done sexual things that are just wrong and evil. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but with God's help, we can all walk in truth and righteousness together because that's God's good design. Sex makes a terrible God. Sex is a tyrant and an enslaver and will destroy you. But Jesus wants to give you life and life to the full now and forever. So remember a number of weeks ago, I tried, I told you, uh, try to imagine being a pirate, right? Just try to imagine being a pirate. So what's the bad news of a pirate? You'll maybe remember this from a couple of weeks ago. The bad news of the pirate is a pirate is poor, right? But the good news of a pirate is that they find a treasure map, Right? X marks the spot, and the pirate follows the treasure map and digs up the treasure, and now the poor pirate, who's done all kinds of things to get more money, finds treasure, and it changes their essential identity. And in so many ways, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we're all poor, and we're all bankrupt, and we all desperately need the treasure of peace and comfort and satisfaction. And God has put us on planet Earth and says, wander this world, you do your thing. But the cross of Christ is him sending Jesus... X marks the spot, the treasure of satisfaction and purity and peace and forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ at the cross. Our sins are paid for. All the things we've done wrong and all the things that have been wrong to us have been paid for. His justice has been poured out on the innocent son of God and his love is put on display that someone would do that for me with all the sexual things that I've done wrong. With all the ways I'm broken, did someone love me so much to die for me at the cross? So that when we put our heart and hope in Jesus, it changes our essential identity and it makes us new and he puts his spirit inside us and invites us to live a different kind of life. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't stop with just this map. He doesn't stop just there. He goes, the wrath of God is being revealed and I'll give you over to what you want. It's almost like this map where God's like, if you want on planet earth to make money your God, I'll let you. If on planet earth you want to make sex your God, I'll let you. If on planet earth you want to make people your God, power your God, fill in whatever, if you want to, God's like, I'll let you. I love you so much, I'll let you. I know who I am. I'm superior to anything you put your heart on, but I'll let you. And what you'll find is all of these things will leave you unsatisfied, but there's always a path back to the cross. 
There's always a way, no matter where you are, or how dark or dirty, no matter what you've done, there's always a way back to the cross. So here's what God does. God's like, I'll give you what you want, but I'll never give up on you. I'll give you what you want, if that's what you want. I'll give it to you, but I will never give up for you. I will always make a way for you to see the cross and know that when you put your trust in Jesus, when you follow Jesus, he will clean you up and he'll purify you and he'll give you new life and he'll forgive you and help you and he'll walk alongside you wherever you are and whatever you've done. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. There is always hope in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for giving us Jesus. Thank you, God, for loving us enough to not force yourself on us. Thank you, God, for giving us what we want so that we could learn what we need. Thank you, God, for letting us think and feel, but making us fearfully and wonderfully made with a design and a purpose that all of us fall short of, but your love in Christ Jesus so immeasurably more than we could imagine so that whatever dark hole we find ourselves in right now, whatever foolish decisions we've made in the past or are making today, that the cross of Jesus Christ is good news that wherever you are and whatever you've done, it's been paid for in full at the cross. The love of Christ can make you new today. That if you would turn and repent and walk away from these things and walk towards Jesus. He will walk with you and talk with you and take care of you and help you. Please, Jesus, help us to see that misdiagnosis of the problem is malpractice. The truth sets us free. Help us to see the truth of how gracious you are and that when we suppress the truth and exchange you for cheap substitutes, we're left hollow. You're the only God, the only God who can satisfy. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.